Welcome to another edition of Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones, and I am your host. This evening, I have the pleasure of speaking with six educators. I invited these educators to my show to discuss an article that left me saying, hmm. An article from NewJersey.com asked this question. New Jersey is becoming more diverse. So why aren't there more teachers of color? Doesn't that make you want to go, hmm? Well, it makes me want to go home. I wanted to know the answer to that question myself. So I set out to assemble my panel and I am happy to welcome this diverse panel here this evening to discuss the article and maybe answer the questions that was asked. So let me introduce my panel. Sanjata Sekou, I hope I said that right, is a third grade math and science teacher in Irvington, New Jersey. He centers black and brown students and educators in his work for racial, social, and economic justice in unions and educational spaces. This work has made him an educational troublemaker because he understands the assignment. Welcome to the show. Next, we have E.K. Chuku Anyema, and he has been a committed teacher of chemistry in New Jersey for eight years. He is an alum of the 2018 NEA Global Learning Fellowship. In 2022, he joined the NJEA Teacher Leader Academy as a participant and a consultant. Crystal Cornelio is a first-generation Dominican-American. She serves as lead social studies and special education teacher at a high warming high school in New Jersey. Her work focuses on DEI, specifically empowering and building community for students and teachers of color. In addition, she coaches girls volleyball, basketball, and softball. And she is also part of the executive board of Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry. Dr. Jayasari Sankar is from a middle-class family in South India. She has been in the field of education for over 25 years, 20 of those years in the United States. She teaches advanced chemistry at a technical high school in Teterboro, New Jersey, and part-time at Kane University, also in New Jersey. And Jonathan Travis does not work in the educational system, however, his experience in the educational system has never been favorable. And he has always hated school and never took his education seriously until he went to college. So as you can see, my panel is very diverse and this discussion should be very exciting. So welcome, welcome, welcome to my show, everyone. It is a pleasure to have you all here. Now we're gonna get started with this conversation we're going to get started with my very first question, and that is, why is there no teachers or not more teachers of color? And I'm going to open this up for any one of you to get started, because every single one of you have something that you can say regarding this question. So I'm going to ask you to answer it the best you can with the knowledge that you know. So who's going to be brave enough to get started and go first? Okay. Can I start? 
Any one of you can get started. All right. Okay. Um, for anybody to pursue a career, I think there must be a role model. Somebody should be, you know, in the childhood, maybe inspiring you. Mm-hmm. So lack of role model, I think, is one of the major reasons. And uh, student behavior, because everybody wants to, oh, that's, I cannot take it anymore, you know, and back off from that particular uh, path. Another thing is uh, certification-related formalities, test requirements. All those things, you know, um, becoming more and more difficult, more expensive. So, and again, of course, financial stability. If you have a graduate degree in science or engineering, you're getting better pay compared to a teacher in that particular um, experience. Mm -hmm. So that also um, making them go to a different track rather than coming to teaching. And of course, um, lack of respect for minor minorities in this country being in that position, especially with the you are with a big percentage of white people. So all these things okay. adding fuel into that. Okay. Thank you, Dr. Sankar. Um, does anybody want to add to that? I want to hear your voices. Um, I can go next. Okay. Um, so I, want, I wanted to add on to uh, what Dr. Sankar mentioned about um, all the um, kind of like barriers. Like, oh, sorry. Um, there's like an echo. Yeah. Mr. Sekou has two screens. Uh, right now, so it's causing an echo. Okay, I think he's muted now. Um, yeah, so I think all the economic barriers, like personally me, um, I'm someone that grew up um, in an, a very economically disadvantaged family. Um, and so for me, when I was, um, in my answer, I'm gonna kind of talk about like the economics piece and then also cultural. So um, both of my parents like uh, migrated from the Dominican Republic. And, you know, I had like very high grades um, in high school, but I didn't know what I wanted to do. And um, I remember my mom and dad were like, oh, like, you know, you have to be a doctor, you have to be a lawyer. Um, And I didn't know what I wanted to do, but I knew that I liked school and I liked history. Um, And so I was like, you know what, like, I'm going to be a history teacher. And I remember when I told my mom that um, she was very upset. Um, And they're like, oh, well, you know, teachers don't make money. And I'm like, okay, but like, I'd rather, like, I don't want to go to school to study something that I don't like. So um, why not like do something I actually do? Um, And I'm going to be honest, like, I you know, especially growing up in um, families where you are like first generation, there's no one guiding you and telling you like, what's the college process or anything about financial aid. So I didn't even know that I could afford to go to college. Like I just thought that I was so poor that I couldn't even afford to go to college when, you know, it wasn't until I went to my guidance counselor where she was like, no, like you have free and reduced lunch. So if you fill this out, you you get uh, two free waivers to take the SAT. Um, and that whole process was just like um, scary to begin with because I had no one guiding me and I had to like try to, you know, book like open house tours just so I could get a free waiver to, uh, to fill out an application for college. Um, and even when I was in my teacher like program classes, like I remember looking around and there was barely any students of color um, and 
you know, like just, I think like for me, I, I was talking to um, Caroline about this the other day, but I remember um, when I, there was one day where I was driving to student teaching um, and I actually like um, fell asleep driving and I hit a car in front of me. Um, and the, you know, I got out the car and I was like, oh, I'm so sorry. Like, you know, I was like, it's fine. Like, don't worry. Um, and the reason why I had to fall asleep driving is because I was actually working 60 hours a week um, at Chuck E. Cheese as a manager while also doing student teaching, which is within itself, like actual full-time jobs. So like, here I am like doing, if you will, like two full-time jobs and going to school. Um, and so at that point, like I had to make a decision, like I'm almost about to graduate. Like, do I want to, you know, like I, I, you know, I don't have money, but I need to graduate and I don't want this to happen again. So I ended up having to cut hours at work. Um, and I had to live off of my credit card um, for the rest of, of my spring semester of my senior year, um, just so I can complete student teaching. Um, and I remember like, um, you know, like I would sit in my classes and like a lot of my white counterparts, I like, didn't have that problem because, you know, their parents were paying for, for school for them. Um, or even like, um, I remember like taking the praxis exam um, for social studies, like thankfully I was able to not have to um, take the praxis one because of my um, SAT scores were just enough to bypass, but um, for my praxis for history, I had to take it three times. Um, the first time I failed, I think by, by one point, the second time I failed by like 10. And then finally, you know, each time I paid, like that was $125 that I didn't, you know, that, that, that's a lot of money when you're a broke college student. Um, so I think all those barriers that they're that put in place, like, you know, especially if, you know, you're someone who's working full time, like you have to make that decision. Like I can't afford to, you know, cut hours. So I'm just not going to do this whole student teaching thing. Um, and lastly, it's, it's hard, um, to, to do something when you don't see anybody, um, that looks like you, um, and believes in you. Like, I remember, um, you know, it wasn't, you know, I would say it wasn't until college that I had um, a Hispanic teacher uh, professor uh, my whole life. I didn't have any Hispanic teachers. And even like growing up in a um, very, very, um, I think it was like 99% of the population where I grew up was Hispanic. Um, we, we had all white teachers. Um, and so when you don't see anybody that looks like you, you don't think that you can do something. Um, and so like now, um, all of the work that I do is, is focused in on, you know, making sure that my students feel seen and represented. Um, but even once you get into the field, and this is my last point, um, there's a lot of like imposter syndrome that comes with what you do. Like, you know, the, where I teach now, I remember like my first year, um, I was like, all these kids are like applying to Ivy League schools. Like, what do I have to offer? Like, I'm someone that, um, you know, grew up in the projects that, um, you know, grew, uh, grew up on government assistance. Like, I went to Montclair State University. Like, you know, what do I have to offer them? Um, and you know, it was it was it took a long time to get to the place where I am now, where I feel confident in my abilities, um, and I know who I am. Um, but it, it wasn't always like that. Um, and even you know, I remember my first year teaching. Like, I I there was a substitute teacher that saw me in the teachers' lounge, and she's like, "Oh, like, you're, are you new here? Like, I don't recognize you. Or are you a sub?" And I'm like, "No." And she's like, oh, like, what do you teach, Spanish? And I'm like, no, like, I, I'm actually a, a full tenure teacher and I teach history here. And I like walked out 
but like, you know, just, or even, you know, whenever I go to a school um, and I'm, they see me that I'm like the coach walking in, they're like, oh, you're the coach. Like, oh, I, I didn't know. Like, and it's like, why can't, so um, there's just, I think to, to get to the place of teaching it is so difficult. And I think once you're even, once you're there, there's still so many, um, you know, microaggressions that you have to deal with um, on the regular, so. Thanks, Crystal. I heard a um, whole lot of stuff going on in there. A whole lot. Thank you for sharing that. Sanjana, did you want to go? Absolutely. And I, I, I heard systematic issues and Crystal mentioned um, some of the other causes as well. I'm going to point it right to racism. <laughs> you invited Sanjana, my sister, and I'm going yes. to give you a, a full-blown, truthful analysis, according to me, on what's going on. You have, white districts, that, you have white districts that do not want to hire black and brown teachers. I was just looking at the statistics of New Jersey teachers. 82.9% from the latest data, New Jersey School Performance Report, 82.9% of the state teachers are white teachers. That's not just because black teachers are not applying. That's not because uh, uh, Hispanic, Asian, Native American teachers are not applying. That is because black and brown teachers are not being hired. And if the hiring person is a person of predominantly black or predominantly Hispanic district, they are not hiring black teachers. If the white districts we've seen are not hiring black and brown teachers, and they can say that they're looking for, are not being hired within these districts. And until many of these hiring people deal with their own biases, and their own stereotypes and their own racism, we will still have this issue 20, 30, 40 years from now because we're seeing now where black and brown teachers are being excluded from the hiring pool. And if we want to talk about that type of conversation, I would love to because a lot of times I bring up these, these type of thing and people get very uncomfortable with this type of conversation, but we are in New Jersey. And New Jersey's history of racism is long, deep, and entrenched. New Jersey got rid of slavery um, three years after Lincoln did with the Emancipation Proclamation. So we can go even deeper on it, but these are the issues that I see. I see a state, I see a system, I see an education dynamic that don't want, don't want to hire, don't want to bring in black and brown teachers. Until we are honest enough to engage in that conversation on the local level, because most of the hiring that is all of the hiring is not coming from the New Jersey Department of Education, not saying that they, they don't have their issues with race and bias as well. But on the local level, at the local Board of Education, this is where we see a problem. This is where we see an issue. And, and again, racism is the root cause of why we don't see more black and brown teachers. Okay, well, you know what? I asked for honesty, plus this is a candid conversation and we're gonna speak candidly. So does somebody want to, uh, uh, Jonathan? Yeah, I'll, I'll jump in here. Um, I'm gonna add to that. Um, I'm gonna look at it, I wanna point out to one historical. So my family, um, we're descendants of slaves in America. Um, Southern Virginia is where my father's side is from. Um, once they were no longer slaves. Um, they had historically black colleges. Um, at the time they were black colleges. My somehow started, not somehow, but 
my early family members and my going back to my great grandfather, my grandfather's generation, um, they became teachers. And at the time they could only teach in segregated schools. Um, one of my uh, grandfather's sisters um, in the early 1900s got her master's in education. She got an undergrad um, degree in education and she went and got her master's. That is um, kind of rare at the time, but she, at the time she could only teach at a black school. Um, my point of saying that is once integration ended, um, opportunity wasn't there as much for black educators because they weren't going to get the preference at certain schools once integration ended. And listening to my family members, they also said when they went to these schools that were segregated, they were very poor. The conditions of the school, I should say, were very poor. But they said that the teachers there were excellent. Um, the teachers really taught. Sometimes they were in one classroom, but it might be three different grades in one classroom, but they were learning. They said they didn't have no heat, but they learned. So sometimes when I hear about, oh, it's just the funding, and I'm not taking away that sometimes, of course, in certain districts, funding is important. But when I hear some of the reasons that some schools underperform typically in predominantly areas and predominant areas where there are black and Latino students, I don't buy all the excuses sometimes because I think about when my family tells me they were in segregated educational institutions and even black colleges, they don't get the same money, but somehow they still succeed. So I believe that because integration occurred and when integration occurred, it didn't make everything fair like as it was supposed to, a lot of black people, educators, didn't have the same opportunity to teach. And because they didn't have the same opportunity to teach, a lot of black students didn't do as well in other schools that were taught by non-black people. The other point I would like to point out is that, the other point I would like to point out, the other point I would like to make is that I think we have to also look at this as business. I'm a public sector employee. I've been in the public sector for 18 years. Even though teaching is not necessarily a business, we have to understand that this is a middle-class job that has been dominated by white women forever. Anytime you want to like do something different, you got to understand you're affecting the economics. You're not going to go anywhere and just come in and say, I want this or can I have this? Because you're disrupting something that's been going on for a long time. And when it comes to money, it's going to be a fight. So at the end of the day, I think a big part of it, why it's not changing is because you're not going to have a fair opportunity to disrupt what has been keeping many families in a middle class or upper middle class type of living standard for over 50, 60 years. So I think that that approach sometimes is not necessarily looked at. I think people look at it as, as we should in the public sector, we should look at a job we're going to get because we want to help, we want to influence, we want to make communities better. But I think we also have to be realistic and understand that this is a business to some people. And sometimes it's generational. Sometimes we have people that their mother was a principal, then they became a teacher, then they became a principal, their father was a superintendent, and so on and so forth. You see, I'm going with it. So at the same time, they're going to keep more or less um, that legacy going. And you being a first generation graduate of something, or you being the first person in your family being a teacher, 
you don't have that backing to necessarily get you to that job, just like any other job. But I think sometimes, in my opinion, that's missed, that's missed because it's public sector. So it's not looked at like business with businesses like my father gave me $50,000 to start this and I can keep going versus if you just came out of college and debt, nobody helped you out to get your business started. So now you're struggling to get on your feet. I think education, when it comes to teaching administrators, it's more or less the same thing. You're going to have the people who's been who's who's in a, a position that can take advantage of the situation. And then you have others who typically be us that necessarily don't have that advantage. And we have to struggle and fight to get in a position just to get in. Forget moving up. We got to fight just to get in. And I think that the part of us not understanding the business part of education, I think is why we may, I don't want to say passively look at why we're not being hired more, but it's a part that I think we have to still keep in mind at the end of the day, people are going to focus on. You're not going to disrupt my business because we can all talk about the number of teachers in certain communities that don't care about the students, but they're keeping their job and they're getting paid great money but they don't care about the students, but you're also not going to interrupt them from their livelihood. So those, those are one of my two, re those are my two reasons why I think that um, there not been an increase of teachers of color in New Jersey, but other parts of America as well. Okay, thank you, Jonathan, for that. EK, let us hear from you. Yes, yes, I'm happy to. Um, really grateful for all of the share so far in the diverse range of responses to this really important questions about uh, where we are as black teachers in this profession. Um, I, I just have to begin on a note of gratitude, not only to be on this panel, but to be a teacher. Um, becoming a teacher changed my life uh, for the better. Um, it gave me an opportunity to be of service um, to my community in ways that I could never have fathomed. Uh, it put me in contact with children on a regular basis, something that I didn't have experience with prior to, something I never endeavored to do, certainly when I was in high school or in my early years of college. Uh, to be honest, it put me around professional women um, because I am in a woman's profession and I had a chance to grow and mature in ways that I know I would not have grown and mature otherwise. Um, I've been I've been involved in community as a result. I've had a chance to travel throughout the state of New Jersey. I've had a chance to travel throughout the country. I've even had a chance uh, through the NEA Global Learning Fellowship that you alluded to earlier. I had a chance to travel to South Africa. I'm a person of Nigerian descent. And with the skills and with the experience that I've been equipped with over the decade plus that I've been an educator, I feel like I have something contrib to contribute to my home country that can legitimately make it a better place. Uh, so I just want to begin by saying how thankful I am to be an educator. And there are hard days. Uh, today was, you know, I could tell you a story about today <laughs> that was hard. It, it's, it's not an easy profession but it's been worth it for me in every sense of the word, as well as financially. You know, I own the home that I'm sitting in right now to be a part of this um, August panel. You know, I own my car, my wife has a car, like I have a nice savings and retirement, like financially I'm also good. Um, I just feel like 
as teachers, we don't often get a chance to express our gratitude and our joy and, you know, the benefits of being a teacher. I think that so often the story is dreary. You know, who wants to join a profession when all you hear about are the negatives of it? You know, we we often frame it as a profession that is, uh, you know, not financially lucrative. Um, oh boy, you're gonna have to deal with these kids and deal with these parents. It's a thankless job. Um, and you know, I'm not gonna frame it as a perfect wonderland, but we have to talk about the joys. We have to talk about what we're grateful for. Imagine someone in the audience right now listening to this podcast and hearing what we say. Are they going to be inspired to join the profession or look elsewhere? Right? So we have to give a chance. I ask my students frequently, how many of you would like to have, you know, a profession where you get to collaborate with others? How many of you want an intellectually stimulating profession? How many of you want a profession where you get to be of service to your community and the world? And then I ask, how many of you want to become teachers? And all the hands drop. What's up with that? <laughs> This is a profession that, that checks every single one of those boxes. But, but the disconnect, there's a gap between what it really is and what people think it is. You know, and so I think that's that's probably, in my humble opinion, one of the number one issues why across the board, the numbers of aspiring educators is dropping, but of course in our community. It's hitting the hardest, you know, it's the it's the highest numbers, it's the it's the steepest decline. You know, we, we don't associate it with with all the positives. Um, so I think so that that's my answer to why I think that, you know, we don't have um, a thriving pool of educators uh, from our community that are aspiring to become educators and everything else that has been stated is true. I mean. The, the testing requirements can be arduous and expensive. Um, you know, the hiring personnel um, at the central offices in a lot of these districts um, do need to work on themselves, right? But hey, that's out, outside of my control, unfortunately. Um, you know, we deserve to be compensated even better than what we get. Um, there, there's a lot of that, but it, for me, and this is a a spiritual piece for me. I have to begin with a note of gratitude. I cannot start this conversation in any other way, but um, I look forward to more. Thank you, EK. Thank you for your note of gratitude too. I, I wanna say how grateful that I am for all of you as teachers. Um, we, we are gonna have a very candid and very serious conversation because all of you raised some very important points. I want, I want to ask a minute though, I want to jump around a little bit and I want Jonathan to start this conversation because Jonathan, when you sent me your information that I asked about, give me some information about yourself um, and about your experience in education. Um, you said your experience was not very favorable. And while we have these teachers on this line right now, I guess the, the next question I should ask each of you is do students of color benefit from teachers of color? Because it, it would appear to me that everything that you've said here this evening points to the experiences that um, students have while they're in school 
will actually dictate what they do in their lives when they leave school. So Jonathan, why don't you tell us about your experiences, which were not favorable. And then um, I would like for each of you as um, educators to address Jonathan's uh, question or information. Yes, um, thank you for giving me an opportunity to go uh, speak about my experience. Um, so I, I went to head start off at head start. Um, that wasn't too bad. My actually my first teacher in school was a black woman. Um, my first teacher, kindergarten teacher, was a black woman. However, um, I hated school. Um, I felt that as I got older. Um, I felt that the school system catered to certain students who seemed to be like students that were like traditional learners. And this isn't just like my individual experience, I feel, because when I got became a teenager and you start talking to other people more, you start getting out more when you're a teenager, you get a little more freedom. I started meeting a lot of people that dropped out of high school. And turns out that... So they were at the time some of the smartest people I knew, but because you they weren't that traditional student, more or less, or the school didn't feel like they could push them in a certain direction, they decided to drop out of school. And at one point, I, I'm not gonna lie, I think it's about 10th grade, like it did cross my mind as well. But what I'm gonna say is that um I didn't know my potential, even though I had parents that stressed education, like my parents stressed education, like to the 10th power, they would pay for me to take programs in the summertime so that I can, you know, enhance my education in certain subjects. Um, I just never cared for it. I just felt the teachers never really cared for me that much. I felt that I didn't get to show my true potential in certain subjects. Like they always told me I was super smart at math, but they would never put me in a higher math class or higher math group. And I used to help in high school, I used to help students or my friends Every once in a while, that was in higher math classes than me with their homework. And I never got taught this stuff. I was just, I guess it was a natural ability to learn math. But what changed for me is I went to um, an historically black college, shout out to Morehouse, all males. And um, it completely changed, completely changed my outlook on education and learning. And it was more than just having um, black male professors. It was been in an environment that was actually saying, you don't have to, there's no one or two ways to learn. You don't have to just think like this. You can just because you're wrong about this doesn't mean that you don't know what you're doing. It was just a way of pushing and pushing and pushing you to keep learning, no matter how much you struggle, no matter how much you maybe not ha have been interested in something, they will find a way for you to still push you in the direction that you may be interested in something else. It was just always a way of just pushing, pushing, and pushing me to like learn. And, and I think being in an environment at that point with thousands of other students also heading that same direction, it that helped. But I think what I learned, I learned and I loved most about it was I didn't have to be that traditional student. I didn't have to worry about speaking proper all the time. I didn't have to worry about like um how I come dressed sometimes. I, it's just so many things I didn't have to worry about that gave me an advantage to just focus on learning. And, and there, there were things that were taught to me that, or all of us that caught, that caught our interest, that wanted to make us keep going and going. And then the funny part is I went to get my master's at Rutgers after I graduated. 
And then once again, I hated it. And it's like, I feel like I do want to go back and get another degree, but because my experience getting my master's, I didn't like it. I'm kind of like not interested in going back to get another degree because I felt once I went back to Rutgers, it was more the same traditional learning. And it was like, I had issues with professors. So the same issues I had from elementary school to 12th grade, I ended up having again in grad school. So, and I, and I stayed back, I got left back. Um, you know, I'm not, I'm not embarrassed to say that because I'm fine as I am today, I turned out to be all right. Uh, but yeah, I got left back. They threw me in a class, I was classified, not classified. I've been through all of that, Every, you know, throwing out the classes, all of that. Um, urban neighborhood, parents moved to suburban neighborhood. It didn't matter. All my experiences from K through 12 were the same. Then, like I said, when I went to grad school, I got flashbacks of like, man, this feels back, feels like when I was in school again. So the only reason I have to thank Morehouse and, I, and, I, and I'm blessed that I was able to go there because I honestly don't think that I probably would have had an undergrad degree if I didn't go there, because the learning experience I had there completely changed my outlook on education alike. So I'll close by saying that. Thank you. Thank you, Jonathan. So for the educators that I have on, on the line, um, you probably get a lot of students like this, right? Who, who have a hard time um, trying to adjust to the way things are. Shun, I'm sorry, Sanjata. You have mentioned you you opened up the racism door, so I'm going to go through it again. How much of this is because of white supremacy and because of the attitudes of the way children of color is supposed to present themselves? And how can they succeed if the if the cards are already stacked against them? Uh, thank you, my great sister. Um... The education system, like all these systems, wasn't built for us. <laughs> this could be a system about the, the economics. This could be a system about the healthcare system. This could be a conversation about all these other systems that we have to live with today. White supremacy dominate in all these systems. White supremacy is omnipresent in all these systems. Now to my brother specifically, Black boys get the worst end of this educational system. If we can't sit down correctly, if we can't speak the way the teachers want us to speak, if we can't quote unquote behave the way the education system wants to behave, then Karen in the classroom will be calling security or the resource officer or the principal or the vice principal to get us out. And the next thing Karen in the classroom is going to say is he needs an IEP. He can't be managed. He needs to be controlled. But it's not about the child be in control, be in managed. It's about the educator in the classroom feeding that child. We have children in the classroom from K to 12, don't know nothing about ourselves. Don't know, we're filling our children heads up with Eurocentric education. We're filling our children up with Eurocentric ideals and we want our children to be Eurocentric like, but we're not that. I wanna know about my culture. I want to know about Africa. I want to know about the Caribbean. I want to know about Asia. I want to know about other places. I don't want an education uh, built 
um, upon learning about what happened with Europe and Europeans, i.e. white folks. I don't want that. I don't want that education and I don't want that system, but this is what our education system pushed on our children. And going back to my brother, when, my, when the children and the students start to rebel against that because they don't see themselves in the education, then the education system come crushing down on them and tell them they need to be suspended, in school suspension, out of school suspension, parents call, all of these dynamics. And I didn't like school when I was growing up. So I said, when I was going to become a teacher, I am going to change the dynamic. Every day, my students learn something about black history. Every day I play a video for them, whether it's a video about Mansa Musa, whether it's a video about Malcolm, whether it's a video about Che Guevara, whether it's a video about anyone outside the European paradigm, I play for them because that feeds them, not feed, feeds just their body, that feeds their mind. Because let me give everyone a, a, a analogy. If everyone in this panel now took a picture, who would be the first person that you look for? It would be yourself. But our education system is one where we don't see ourselves in it. We go to history class, we don't see ourselves. We go to math class, we hear about others creating math, but us as black folks have pyramids in the desert that demonstrate our math. So how can, how can you not mention that? How can you not go back to the creators? And I'm not just talking about Egypt, I'm also talking about Sudan who has more pyramids than Egypt. We, so we learn about Europeans in, 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 in math class. We learn about it in a history class. We, we go to a class that's English-based. So my brother was saying earlier, like this demonstrating of learning, why can't our students, we're our culture and who we are we're, as Black folks, we're more oral. We come from a, a people of griots, of storytellers. In English class, why can't you let the students rap their essay? Why can't you let the students perform their essay? Why do we have to stick to the writing part? And I'm a writer. Everyone that knows, know I write for the review and know I do certain things, but that's not the only way you could do it. There's other things that you can do. So my, my ultimate point is that the reason that we're having these situations with our children and why children don't want to come to school, and as an educator, I don't blame them. Why would you want to come to a place that's not going to show you your beauty, your culture, your history, who you are as a person? Why would you want to come to a place that's totally erasing you? So myself as a classroom teacher, I'm putting black and brown children front and center. I'm putting your history front and center. I'm putting your people there so that you can see who you are. So when you leave Sanjata Sekou class, you're going to pick your head up and you're going, you're going to be proud of who you are, not not get ready for the NJSLA, but that's a different conversation. <laughs> amen, amen. In the chat room, Kiana, um, she's on my um, executive board and she's my daughter. She says, amen. She says, my son dealt with all of this while in public schools, his teachers were Karens before we knew what that characteristic was. So you are hitting some, some points here that um, individuals can understand. But I wanna hear from, um, um, some of the other um, cultures. So, Crystal, why don't you um, jump in here? Yeah. Um, so, I want to I want to speak to some of the things that Jonathan mentioned. And um, while EK was talking, it it made me. Uh, I, there's a couple of things I want to just um, bring up. So, um, EK's point about gratitude. Um, I definitely definitely feel the same way. 
um, you know, especially because, and I'm going to connect the two points I want to now, but um, while Jonathan was talking, it made me think um, about, um, in particular, like two students that, that I have. Um, so one student last year, he graduated, his name was Caleb. Um, and he came into my class. Um, he stayed back. Um, he's an African-American student. Um, and, you know, we're talking um, and I'm like, oh, well, you know, what's going on? Like, you seem different today. And he's like, oh, you know, Miss Cornelia, like, I just feel, um, you know, upset. And I'm like, well, what's going on? Um, and he's like, well, um, you know, I feel like a, a couple of, you know, I just, I don't know. I just don't, I feel like I don't belong here. And I'm like, what do you mean? Like, you, you know, you, you had to take a test to come into the school. Um, you belong here. Um, and he's like, well, you know, I feel like I should have just stayed in my, in my home district because, um, if I had stayed there, like, I know all of my friends that, you know, I, I feel like I belong here. Um, you know, um, my friends will say some things sometimes that I just feel like, am I bugging? Like, is it, am I the problem? Uh, and I'm like, no, like what they're saying is wrong. Um, why don't you say something? And he's like, well, you know, I just don't want to cause any problems. And I've dealt with it. You know, I'm a senior now. I've dealt with it for four years. Like, I just want to graduate and get out of here. But I just feel like I don't belong here. Um, and, and that really, you know, that really resonated with me because um, I had the same experience, um, you know, going to um, in, in high school and college. I just felt like um, although I was like super happy to be there and I felt like, oh, my God, like, you know, I never imagined myself being here. It just felt like I always um, was out of place. Like I, I felt like I had to talk a, a different way. I had to code switch. Right. I couldn't wear You know, that's why Jonathan's point about feeling like he had to talk a certain way or, or change who he was. I felt the same way about being in white spaces. Like I couldn't really be who I was. Um, and so after that, um, that conversation really resonated with me. And I'm like, well, I feel like I have to do something with this information. And so um, after that, I, I ended up talking with a close friend of mine um, in the school that I work with, and we developed um, a project um, where a pilot program where it's called Courageous Conversations. Um, and we're educating the 10th grade right now on um, various topics such as like bootstrap mentality or imposter phenomenon or cultural assimilation versus appropriation. Um, and the goal by the end of this project is that um, if you know better, you know, you, you do better, right? Um, and I understand that not everyone um, has the same experiences and, and understand what it's like to be a, a person of color um, in this country. Um, but that after being as part of this project, that you, are, you know, are equipped with the tools to say like, hey, like that was a microaggression, like that's not right. What do you mean by that, right? Um, so that's like the first part of that. Um, and then second, um, about um, EK's point about gratitude, um, I often feel like, um, you know, a lot of times, you know, in terms of the money, like that's for me, I do this because I feel like I'm walking in my purpose and I'm doing what God has called me to do. Um, and so when I'm in the classroom and I have um, students um, where I can sit down and talk to them about the foods that we eat, right? Um, and I'm talking about how we eat plantains or talking about the music that we listen to. Um, and they see me walking in my purpose. And, you know, I, I gave up on, on, like, I come into school and I'm wearing my Jordans and I'm, um, you know, so, like, I don't code switch, like, I'm being authentically who I am. Um, and so when they see that, um, you know, it, it means a lot to them. Like my students after tell me like, you, you know, you're the first um, uh, teacher of color I've ever had, or you're the first Dominican teacher I've had. And I feel like I can relate to you on so many levels. Um, and that's not, that's something that I don't take lightly. 
Um, and I, you know, I'm always trying to make sure that my, just like um, Brother Sanjata mentioned, like I, I, I make sure that my students of color feel like they belong um, because I know all the barriers that it took to, for us to even be in the spaces that we are. Um, and like, you know, Sanjata mentioned about, you know, this is a whole conversation about, we can bring up all the other points about healthcare, about economics, um, about all the systems that are at place. Um, but that's why, like EK mentioned, I feel like I have this purpose um, to make sure that my students feel seen, um, that they feel heard, that they feel validated, um, like they know that they do belong and I don't care about any whoever is telling them that they not that they're not um, because I'm gonna make sure that they do feel um, welcome and so um, you know that's what for me my purpose is um, because I know how hard it was for me to get the, to the place where I am um, and if I can change the life of one student or make it better in that one day um, or by the end of their high school career to me that you know that is worth more than whatever I'll make as a teacher. Thank you Crystal. Um, Dr. Sankar won't you chime in on this subject? All right thank you. Um, yeah, I agree with uh, Jonathan and uh, um, Sekou, right? Sorry if am I pronouncing correctly. Yes, said, yeah, that racism is there all these years. Um, just let me uh, give you a little bit of my background. You know, um, I born and brought up in India, did my master's and PhD in India, and I tried to get into a job. I was working as a full-time faculty in a senior college where I took my master's, the exploding population and corruption, political, everything, you can name it, you know, it was very difficult for me to get a job. I have to really give a big amount of money as bribe, even though I have all the qualification to get into that faculty job in the college. And after working one and a half years full time, still, I didn't get uh, salary at that point, all that strike files and holding onto a table, getting approved, you know, and I'm kind of, I lost my patience. Only at that time, I decided to go for another, um, like, I want to go out from India, get out from India. You know, maybe if I come over here, Western countries, I might be better with respect to my education as well as job. And I applied for a second PhD in Canada, and that's why I came as an international student. Once I completed that, immediately I got a job in the U.S. I worked as a, a scientist four and a half years before taking this job in Chitraburra. I came across with several situations where I have been treated differently, but I openly talked to the person and basically, you know, cleared it. But I see that, you know, I couldn't really and that belonging to the, that particular group, I was always looked at differently. And then at some point, you know, my passion was teaching. That's my teacher brought me into that career. So that's why I took teaching as a person back in India. When I came here, I started this job. Then at some point I decided I need to get back to teaching. That's when I started looking into teaching and then I ended up in Teterboro. I have no clue what the high school education look like in this country, uh, but I knew that I have that passion and that I could really do it. 
and I started teaching there. Initially, I came across with a lot of uh, differences there. Um, at some point, I felt like I don't belong into that community, but I was holding on to it. One thing I know that I can really tell my experiences, my background, how I ended up here to all my students. And I would always say that, you know, uh, this is me. If I can come all the way here to do this, you can definitely do that. Nobody is, you know, blocking you anywhere into that, you know, I, I, I can support you. And I always tell the students, be positive. And there is nobody, um, you know, blocking you a path into successful, uh, getting into a successful try going into AP and better colleges. So that racism is definitely here. Um, they don't talk openly, but you can really see it in their body language, in their attitude. So I learned by myself, you know, I don't care anymore. But in class, I always share my experiences. And several students in the past asked me, how did you uh, came here? You know, what did you uh, came to, from that job, living that job here? You know, I, I like teaching. Not everybody is going to teach in fashion. You know, at least if you can inspire them to get into higher college and, you know, better college, getting more higher degrees and getting into a well-respected job, whether it is writing, writer or educator or scientist or chemist, doesn't really matter. You deserve it. And some of the Indian students, when they see me, they have that, you know, a little bit of England attitude to come and a bit more about me, thinking that I might, yes, definitely, but it, you know, open, I won't do that, but I talk to everybody uh, in general, you know, uh, nobody's different. Everybody's same. You have your uh, way of expressing things, um, taking things, accepting things. So you do it and whatever your passion, you go for it. And we are only here to help you that, uh, to make that way possible for you. I came across with a lot of these racism in my life in both jobs. But uh, again, somehow I was lucky myself to deal with those things. And uh, as uh, Jonathan and uh, um, AK said, you know, I'm so thankful for my uh, whatever I am now in this country uh, compared to what I would have been in you know, my friends. They asked me, are you teaching in a new school? Why? Because there is a general notion that people from India, you know, they always go for high-skilled jobs here. So when I came here, they thought I'm going for a college job or a job. And when I quit that job and came into a school, this is my passion. That's what, you know, I came here for. So I'm more than happy to do this job. My teacher told me, uh, do this job when they need it most. You know, they will really remember you not at a higher level, you started at the very lower level. So I believe that um, more uh, teachers like you are needed in this country to bring these black students and brown students. Um, I don't know how many Indian teachers are there in, in the school system here. Uh, very few, I guess. I came across with only one or two so far in my 20 years life. Same thing with the black teachers. So they definitely need uh, people like you same, you know, skin color, so they can more relate to you. You have more experiences to share with them. 
and uh, they will see you as an inspiration to go further into a higher level. Um, I think uh, a teacher in the elementary level, when they see of their own, you know, they will have more um, likelihood of going into higher uh, high school to complete high school and getting into a higher uh, degree in colleges and um, to a better future. Um, so, yes, racism is Thanks. still here every day in our life. Thank you. Thank you, Dr. Sankar. Thank you for sharing your experience um, because I, I didn't want us to, um, to not recognize that there are uh, two other um, um, demographics that we are representing here, the Asian um, demographic and the um, Hispanic um, demographic. I thank both you, Crystal, and um, Dr. Sankar for sharing that with us. E.K., um, what do you have to say about that? Um, yeah, uh, wow. First of all, Dr. Sankar, it's really grateful to hear you share your story. I think that the international perspective is vital and it's easy for us to lose that perspective when we have these conversations about the, you know, the, the current state of our domestic situation in education. But, you know, when we broaden our perspective with the international perspective, I think that, um, you know, we open ourselves to some really important solutions. Um, you know, when I the the realities about being a a black student or a student of color in this country are real. Um, the challenges, the obstacles, uh, the ways in which we don't feel seen in the curriculums that we encounter, or the social environments that we encounter, um, are very real. And for me, it just goes back again to my gratitude for being a teacher, because I get to be a part of the solution. You know, I, I'm a teacher and I'm a teacher leader. So as a teacher in my classroom, I do try to foster a certain kind of environment. And I've had to grow professionally um, as a chemistry teacher as well. I try to be a teacher who rather than just tells you the facts or the curriculum. Um, I try to present it in a way where you get to collaborate with your peers and discover some of the ideas uh, that we're gonna be talking about. And that's through various activities and labs. Um, I think that that's important. I mean, when you think about disengagement in schools, it's often because of the nature of the pedagogy, how we're being taught in addition to what we're being taught. Um, but I'm also a teacher leader, so it's not just my classroom that I care about. I care about what's happening in my colleagues' classrooms, and I think that it's really important for us as teachers to develop more skills so that we can facilitate and organize our colleagues to, you know, around a vision for what we want our schools, a vision for what we expect for our students um, and work towards building that, like the like professional learning community. Like we actually need to, you know, we have an opportunity to foster some very engaging and profound professional learning communities among the teachers 
that will benefit our students and not just the students in our classrooms, but the students in our building. Um, I've been fortunate that I've had a chance to collaborate with teachers in my building and outside of my building. Um, you know, last year, uh, myself and some other educators that, you know, are too numerous to name right now, uh, we took part in inaugurating something that we called the Model Gary Student Conference, which was um, done at Seton Hall, but it was to commemorate the 50th anniversary of the uh, of the Black Power Conference that took place in Gary, Indiana in 1972. And we tried to kind of blend it with the uh, model UN framework that some you know student clubs have where they debate various topics. So we were debating, you know, or trying to come up, really build consensus around resolutions uh, for various issues that are taking place in the black community, um, whether it's technology related, social justice, um, well, the criminal system related, um, you know, sports and entertainment related. Like we, you know, the students just had an incredible time. So we get a chance to be creative. We get a chance to collaborate. Um, and really brainstorm some, some ways to address these very real issues. And uh, some of them seem intractable and certainly they still exist, but you know, I consider myself fortunate to have been able to collaborate with so many educators over the years to just come up with some really creative solutions to a lot of the challenges that were named by, by Jonathan, by everybody, um, say cool everybody. Um, I, think it's, I think it's vital that we that we build the skill sets though, um, our skill sets as teachers so that we can, uh, again, be leaders in our buildings so that it's not just like identifying these problems, but coming up with ways to, to address them because our kids do, our students need it. Our students need these opportunities. This is, this is where some of them come alive um, when they're looking for themselves and we give them a chance to find themselves um, and, and uh, who otherwise we might lose. Um, and, you know, being a black educator, I also don't want to paint the picture that I'm having like a hundred percent success rate with my black students either. Like I still have difficult days. I still have, you know, those challenging moments where I cannot understand, I, you know, I, I try to bring a spirit of kindness and compassion, but there are still days where I'm not I'm just not getting it. I'm not connecting. What I'm saying is not reaching for whatever reason. Um, I do my best to listen. I reach out to the parents. And sometimes they're confused too. Like being a black educator, I don't think is like, it's not like the magic bullet. Like, you know, every kid that walks through my classroom or any black teacher's classroom is like, it's good now. Like it's, that's not it either. That hasn't been my experience. Um, it's it's a constant journey of reflection. It's a constant journey of sharing. You know, I have to reach out to other teachers and say, hey, look, look at what I'm navigating here. Do you have ideas? We come together, we have to be patient over time. The change may not happen on that day, that week, that month, that year, but you know, do our best to just keep on, you know, working with the students. Uh, so yeah, and yeah, I, I just, I'm grateful to be a teacher and um, I think we definitely need more black educators. I think it's it's vital, but I just also wanna say, I don't necessarily know if it's like, you know, the idea that 
every single, you know, black student that comes through a black teacher's classroom is like, you know, <laughs> gonna go and fly off because it's just a bigger system. It's a bigger system that we're in. So um, for me, I try to put my eggs into the basket of, you know, of organizing, of, you know, sharpening my skills as an organizer, working with other teachers um, and honing my craft as an educator as well, constantly. Uh, you know, I'm not the same educator that I was last year or the years prior, and I don't plan on being the same educator in a few years. Uh, it's a it's a it's a career of constant, constant growth, constant reflection, constant work. I've said and done things in the past that I you know would not do today. You know, so uh, it's yeah, it's it's a journey, and it's it's a you know, it's a, it's a complicated picture, but I'm here for it. <laughs> okay, well, well, thank you for that. Um, Sanjana, I'm gonna go to you one more time because I want you to piggyback off of what um, EK um, has said specifically about um, not necessarily having a success rate with um, black students just because you are a black teacher. We know, at least I feel like, um, Black students don't necessarily get a fair deal. That's been my experience. Um, I understand what EK is saying, but what are your thoughts on that, being a, a male Black teacher yourself? Um, uh, salute to my brother for the comments that he made. I would say that success for me is not tied to Eurocentric metrics, meaning success for me is not how well you do on a test how well you do on the NJSLA, how, how, um, how well you're able to sit down and take these tests that in the long world, in the long um, view of your life means absolutely nothing. Um, that success doesn't mean that to me. I am going to tell you that every student that walk into my classroom, they, they don't leave the same. And that's my success. Um, every student that come to my classroom, they are going to learn something. Every student that come to my classroom, they are going to develop themselves. Every student that come to my classroom will learn about them, their black selves. Every student that comes to my classroom will learn about their Hispanic self, their Asian self. They will learn about who they are. That is my, my metric. And how do I do that? I bring their culture into the classroom. Yes, I'm a math and, and, and science teacher, but when they're eating breakfast, again, I let them know who started the breakfast program. Just the other day, you know, I mentioned this a lot. I, I, I mentioned, you know, the Black Panther Party, not just the Black Panther you see on the movie, but the Black Panther Party started these breakfast programs. One kid raised his hand, Aiden, and said, Mr. Seiko, you told us that already. I remember you said the Black Panther Party started. Yes, and I'm pretty sure he didn't know that before. No one tells them. They get breakfast program and the Black Panther Party started that. This month, well, last month, we did Black History Month projects, but our Black History Month projects were based on Black mathematicians and scientists. Martin Luther King is great, we love him. Malcolm is great, we love him. Rosa is great, Harriet, these are great people. But you're going to research some other Black people who did work and that will put into your mind, if these Black people do it, you can do it too. For Hispanic Heritage Month, had the same thing, same type of project, 
Hispanic mathematicians and science. For Women History Month, today we just start doing the presentations. We are doing um, a project about women, black, brown, Asian, Native American women who've done great things in the math, math and science fields. So to me, my success rate is when they come up there and you're talking about, here's Mae Jemison. Who is Mae Jemison? She's an astronaut. She was the first black woman in space. Man, you don't know the feeling I get when I hear that. These are, I'm with eight and nine year olds saying this. Here is Katherine Johnson. Who was Katherine Johnson? She was a, a human computer that can calculate numbers that send people into space. You know how good that made me feel? You know how great that made me feel? That is my success rate. When I'm hanging their projects outside and people come in by and say, wow, look at these, pro look at these uh, projects. Look at these great things that they have uh, assembled. Yes, I know parents help them, but I check their knowledge by them doing presentations in the classroom. That is my success rate. That when, and, and another thing that I do, I heard my good brother talking about a, a teacher leader. And I heard my students early during Black History Month singing Negro spirituals, wade in the water. So I went up to the music teacher. So when is the Black History Month um, presentation? When is the assembly? She said, Mr. Seiko, I don't know if we're going to have one. I don't have enough time. I said, uh-uh. Not why Sanjata Seku is walking these halls. We're going to have a Black History celebration. We're going to, as long as I'm in this district, in this school, around these Black and Brown children, we are going to have one. You know, myself, I recruited two, three other teachers, four other teachers. We came up with a Black History Month project. I mean, Black History Month presentation school-wide. One for K to two and another one for three to five within three days. We, we outline great black people. We had a young lady, I said, Jada, read this, practice this. She came back, memorized it. Hey, black child, by County Cullen. She said it to the entire school. She memorized the entire poem. I gave it to her two days before. She came back to me the, the, the two days later. Mr. Seiko, I memorized it. Put her on the stage. She demonstrated her learning. In my business, in our business, this is called a performance task. She did a performance task mentioning, hey, black child, you can be whatever you want to be if you ought to be whatever you can be. How great mm -hmm. that made me feel. So for me, I, I see your daughter ask a question like, do I get pushed back? I tell the people who are pushing back, go kick rocks. <laughs> 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 I, use, I use professional words, but I tell them to go kick rocks. Yes, I work in the frame of my school district, but I'm bringing um, their culture, whether it's the music, whether it's their the language. You know, um, I'm I'm speaking Spanish to them. I'm speaking Haitian Creole to them. I'm learning uh, Tagalog, the Filipino language in the classroom because I'm that teacher. And with me, again, um, when they come in in September and when they leave in June, it's two different things, and it's not based on a test. Mm. Thank you. Yes. Yes. No, thank you, um, Sanjata. I'm glad you mentioned what you mentioned, because I have a colleague that I work with, a math teacher, um, Asian, um, um, Chinese, I guess. Is that the right? I want to do the proper wording here. And um, he wanted to be here tonight. But the reason why he's not here tonight is because he's in a Spanish class learning Spanish so he can better communicate with his Hispanic um, students. And I applauded him because I, I felt like 
wow, this is really great that you would want to go and take a Spanish class so that you could better communicate with your Hispanic students. And that right there shows me a whole lot about the character of this, this teacher. Um, EK, I want to ask you a, a question as I'm still feeding off of what you and um, Sanjata talked about. What is the age of your students? Because Sanjata, you have the, the younger um, students. What is the age of your students, um, EK? Uh, freshmen and sophomores in high school. Okay, so we're in high school. So I'm seeing like there's this, it's, it's looking more like if they would have benefited from when they were in the elementary schools, more of Sanjata's way of teaching, maybe by the time they got to high school, you might have a different experience with them because it seems like you're having maybe a negative experience with some of the um. The black students there is that what I'm hearing? I don't want to put anything in your mouth, but I'm hearing that you're having a different type of experience. Overall, I'm having a wonderful experience. Actually, I think the point I was simply trying to make is that um, I still have tough days. <laughs> I still have it ain't perfect every day. Uh, you know, you know, there's so many things happening in our students' lives that right you know, that are outside of my control. Um, they might arrive um, and I'm, you know, I've got 30 kids in my class. So I don't have an opportunity necessarily to find out the specific nature of what the challenge might be for that day. Um, and so, you know, they might do something that, I'm, that I don't like. <laughs> uh, that, that still happens to me. I could be the only teacher experiencing that but that nope. does still happen to me. But just because that happened doesn't mean that I like the job any less. It doesn't mean that, you know, my students are bad. Um, they're human, I'm human. And um, overall, I'm having a wonderful experience. <laughs> okay. Um, Crystal, I wanna ask, um, and Dr. Sankar, I wanna ask um, also too, um, when Crystal is um, done with her um, comments, um, what is your response to um, students of color who might have um, issues that they bring with them into the classroom, but you yourself know that it's not unusual for that culture? How do you how do you handle that situation? Wait, I'm sorry. So you're saying like students that come in and with like baggage from home? Yes. Okay. Because a lot of times um, students, and, and EK, this is to what you were saying too, um, black and brown students go through a lot yep. more um, difficulties than their white counter students that are um, come from a different um, household situation. They bring their baggage with them. They, some of them are uh, who who knows what their their home life is, what their situation is? How do you handle that when you know when you yourself know that they may be experiencing something different than the white students that come in? Do you treat them all the same? Do we have a a one size fit all um, teaching method, or are we at least making some adjustments to the fact that there might be some issues outside of the classroom that? they're dealing with 
Yeah, um, okay, I understand your question now. Um, so, I mean, first of all, I, I think, you know, me and, and Sanjad are very similar in the way that we carry our, our classes. And so um, from the minute that my students um, come into my classroom on the first day of school in September, um, like I tell them, like, you're my kids, like you're my kids. Um, and so I do a lot of work in my classroom um, to really build a community um, where they see each other as, um, you know, a family. Um, and that I'm with them figuring it, this all out too. So, you know, yes, I'm the teacher and yes, we, you know, we have procedures and, and, and all of that, but I'm, I'm with them as part of that. So, you know, I include them in the decision-making process. Like, you know, just today um, I have a, a class where they're supposed to give a presentation one group is going tomorrow, we're supposed to go to tomorrow, and then all the other groups are going Wednesday because tomorrow we have a half day. Um, and I had this group that stayed behind and, and told me, they basically came up with the whole presentation. Um, they had claim evidence reasoning as to why they deserve to go on Wednesday instead of Tuesday. Um, and I said, okay, you know, I listened to it. Um, I said, you know, I, I agree with you. I said, you know, you came up with, with um, a good presentation. You, you know, use the strategies that we talk about in class. Let me just check in with the other teacher because I, I, you know, the other teacher is also doing the same thing and I don't want problems, but I'll get back to you. Um, and then I went to the other teacher and I said, listen, you know, um, they, this is what they came up with. And I, you know, I agree with them. So I just wanted to check in with you before I okay it. Um, and he said it was fine. And then I, you know, I wrote the, the students an email and I said that I commended them for, for advocating for themselves. Um, I, you know, was happy that they used the things that we talk about in class. Um, and I granted them, uh, you know, I said, the only, th the only deal is that they have to present, um, you have to come in Wednesday morning at 730 because we only have time in class for the other two groups to present. And they said, you know, thank you so much. Um, and that's the type of teacher that I am where I want them to feel comfortable enough to come up with, to me with, with, with things like this and that we can figure it out together, right? Um, and one of the kids was like, oh, I was so nervous. I thought she was gonna say, yeah, I mean, no, cause you know, she doesn't play. And I'm like, listen, like this is as much as, as much as my class, it's also your class. And so um, even like, you know, as soon as they walk in in September, I, I call them Cornelio scholars. Um, and I tell them you're, you know, you are scholars. Um, and, um, you know, in terms of like, you know, I, I feel like there are so many factors that play that my students come into um, class every day with that if, you know, obviously I'm not a mental health professional, I am not a psychologist, but if I don't, for the 41 minutes that I have them in my room, if I don't make them feel safe, seen and heard, um, they're not going to learn. Um, and so I do a lot of work. Um, to make sure that they feel, you know, safe and protected. So even like, you know, Mondays, we do something called positive circle where they share the highlight of their weekend. Um, and, and we do that every single Monday. And I don't play about that. You know, if, if I just, we, was, we just won't give a test on Mondays. That's just how it goes. Um, and so, um, you know, like I always make sure that they, you know, for example, like, you know, I have I have this down to a science where last week a student was having something going on and like you could tell all over his face and that student walked out to the bathroom and as soon as they walked in the other student goes Miss Cornetta I think you should talk to you know so and so I said okay I'm gonna check in with that student so as soon as they came in from the bathroom um you know I pulled them outside I said hey you know what, what's going on um and he's like oh you know I'm just worried about this test you know I'm not doing so well and da, da, da. I said okay let's talk about it you know we talked about it I came I we, we talked about how you know you have to feel your feelings um and then we're gonna move on and, and you know I, I you know we, um, I was like we don't take L's we learn so you didn't do that well um in the test that's fine but we, we're gonna move on for the next one um and so 
to me, you know, like there are so many things that I feel, you know, my students come into on the classroom with that I, I, I'm cognizant of that um, and, and I'm mindful of that. So whenever I assign something, I, you know, I think about is that if I was the student, you know, is this enough time for me to complete this, right? Um, is this fair, right? Like if I, you know, at any time I, whatever, you know, I don't give homework just to give it, like I think about what's the purpose of this assignment and is it worth their time, right? And then com completing it, um, you know, for example. And, and I also think about all these other factors. Like I have a student um, of color that I know um, that weekends are tough for her because she helps out her family business um, and she's working there, you know, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, nonstop um, to help her family out. Um, and I'm mindful of that, right? Um, and, and I commend her for her ability to stay on task, um, complete all the things that we have to do at a high level in class and still go and work, you know, uh, 20 to 30 hours a week with, uh, to help take care of her family, um, you know, and her family business, right? Um, and so, you know, I'm very mindful of all of these things. And like I said, I, I try to make um, a community for my students where they feel, um, you know, like, like they, they matter. Um, because once you feel that you matter to someone, um, you know, the, the learning will come. Um, and so I take a lot of pride in making sure um, that, you know, all of these things happen um, in my classroom. Okay, thank you, Crystal. What about you, Dr. Sankar? And we're talking about those students who you know um, might be dealing with something outside of the classroom. How do you handle those students? Yes. Um, at the beginning of September, I always tell them I am very flexible to accommodate whatever you know uh, needs they have to. They give one. You know, you never know. Every day is different. Um, especially with the AP and honors level, high level chemistry class, you know, we have every day is <laughs> actually scheduled for something, you know, every like 182 days is even uh, finalized in the first week of September itself. So if you lose one day, we know how it is difficult for us to complete that. Uh, but sometimes I get mails by 11 o'clock or 11.30, even at 1.30, Sagar, can I be excused from tomorrow's assignment? Can I do it the day after or Friday? It has so many things on my plate. So I said, sometimes I see it only like when I wake up <laughs> five o'clock, I email right away. That's fine. Please see me in the morning. So I ask her always, you know, they are very, I tell them that my door is always open same way my heart is always open to listen to you. Some students are okay to come and talk to me about that. Some, sometimes they don't feel they don't feel comfortable, so it's okay, you know. Um, so when you want to do it, are you going to get some help? Are you come to me, or are you going to the tutor? So I provide all that help to them before they come back. Like uh, last week, I called individually, emailed um, two students. They were having a hard time. And they came to me one-on-one. -on -one. I sat with them and I helped them to understand that five minutes, how that makes sense. Yeah, I want to hear that. That makes me more comfortable when I hear that from them. And then they did very well after that. So I'm always flexible. I want to make uh, the students see that from my end. Okay. That's my priority always. 
some students are you know willing to talk to me about what is going on sometimes they feel a little bit uncomfortable so i don't really force them but i know there is something going on okay i understand so i am flexible here and you tell me when you will be willing or when you will be ready what help i can do i always provide the help to them um always but i just make sure that uh, you know i respect them and i get the respect back to some extent if that is there you know that really clears the path in between us okay thank I'm you very flexible always in my class thank you okay well i'm going to thank all of y'all for being flexible to these students jonathan you've been sitting there very patiently but i'm going to ask you a question now um you've been listening to everything that these teachers have been saying um coming from your point of view um what you went through how you struggled through school how hard you had to um even push yourself to get to where you are right now what advice do you have as a student of color who had difficulties in school what could you share with these teachers that would make that would have made your life a little bit different and be honest because they can take it hey, you put me on the spot it's like five against one up here <laughs> <laughs> um but i know you, you you know i got tough skin so it's all good um i i, I mean honestly like <clears throat> And I'm not even being biased, but I think you have a good group here. Um, I honestly would have loved for them to be, been my teachers, um, to be honest with you. <clears throat> I, I would just say that a, a general, I, I would I would say that one is, 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 is I believe um, somebody has said it, it's bigger than the teachers. So I had, I, I did have some good teachers. So I don't want to say like, I, I had about, I know I had one teacher who was really, she was really good to me. Um, she was really good to me. She worked with me. She's patient with me. She was encouraging. This was in high school. And I might've had one or two other ones that were just, you know, they were good. They, you know, they, you know, they know how to, they know how to keep me busy, whatnot. But I had one, Miss um, Ross, I don't forget her name. Um, she, she really, really, really worked with me. She really, was encouraging, and and I and I think at the end of the day, and, and on top of that, I'm, I'm gonna say she was a white woman. Um, so so I, I'm going to say that um, I think that everything Sujata said is absolutely true because what he was saying is kind of what Morehouse was about. Like no matter what class I went into, the professors sometimes, at the, especially at the beginning of the semester, they would set that bar. And I remember I went, when I had math class. Um, one of the professors is like, and we weren't even majors in math. It was a math we had to take. He came in our first day. was like, listen, basically said, listen, I don't play around. There's only 500 um, black people in the world with a PhD in math. Um, there's a shortage of, of, of black people in the, in the STEM field. So whether or not you're a math major or not, I don't, I'm not going to play around. So, but he, my point was that he started the class off letting us know what it's about. And it, it related, hit us all that, you know, we got to take this class seriously because as black people, we can't play around in, this, in, in the field of math, whether or not we, we are in that field, I mean, whether or not we are majoring in it or not. Um, English professors, same thing. Like all the professors came in, like Sajada was saying, 
they made every subject relate to us. And it set the tone throughout the semester that whether you're majoring this or not, majoring in this class or not, majoring in the subject or not, um, you got to relate to what's going on and you got to take it seriously. Because in the real world, that's how everything is going to be taken seriously when you come into it, especially as a black man. But at the end of the day, I think that it just has to do with not making like every student a cookie cutter. And what I mean by that is saying like, okay, every student has to perform just like this. Every student has to think like this. Every student has to talk like this. And if you don't do it, then you're a problem. And if you don't think like this, you know what? You're probably, this college is probably not for you. Maybe you should look at trade school. I'm not saying there's anything, anything wrong with trade school, but maybe you should look at the military. But the way they put it is so like negative. It's not encouraging saying like, you know what? I saw that you are good with art. Why don't you think about being a graphic artist? Things are put negatively if you don't fit a certain uh, vision for a lot of teachers or just in the school system in general. And that's why I feel like so many things are based off of the test. And I believe that the prison, the pipeline, um, the, what is it? The pipeline, the prison, help me out. What is it called? The Pri school of prison pipeline. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. I believe it's true. I believe all that stuff is true because if you don't fit a certain criteria, if you don't score a certain uh, score on the test, if you don't get certain grades, they, they just mark you off. But I think there's certain teachers who say, like, you know what, I'm not going to just throw you to the side. I'm going to dust you off, pick you up and help you out. You know, this this subject not, might not be your strongest subject, but I'm going to help you get through it. I'm going to push you in areas where I think that you can thrive in outside of this class, even though I may teach science, there's something about you that I think you'll do well in, I don't know, math or, or art, you know, whatever it is. I think that it's just constant encouragement by teachers that keep a lot of students like me moving forward. Um, but it's, but unfortunately, I think the majority of teachers, even if they have a good heart, they are overwhelmed. They, you know, they are overwhelmed. They are underpaid. They have their personal issues too, you know, so at the end of the day, I don't necessarily, I really don't necessarily blame the teachers so much as I blame the system, um, the educational system. There are teachers, of course, that I, I just, yeah, they didn't need to be there. Um, but I, I blame the educational system and in my old agency, and I, I wrap it by saying this, my old agency at DCPNP, um, most of our referrals came from the school. And it disturbed me to see how they're still the same for the most part. They call in referrals on certain children. If they dress like this, if the parent act like this, if they live in this neighborhood, um, some of the same traditions that I saw when I was in school with certain teachers, some of the same stories I heard from other people who didn't do so well in school still continues to this day. And I saw it in different school districts because I worked in different offices. So I know for a fact, it's not just like, an urban or suburban problem. It's a system, systemic for systemic problem that affects people no matter where they live at. Some people may get it harder than others, but at the end of the day, um, it's something that is bigger than I think teachers. Um, I think teachers can do what they can. They do the best they can. But at the end of the day, there's a bunch of other teachers that they, they're not going to do what some teachers do. So I, I'll just end by saying that. Okay. All right. So that actually leads me into a very important question. Um, 
it might be controversial, but I'm going to ask it. So do you think that it will make a difference if we had more teachers of color or not because of the way the system is designed? Um, I hear a lot of people say that the system has been designed for us to fail. It doesn't really matter at you know, if you have more teachers of color or if you have less teachers of color. But let's talk about that for a minute. What do you what do you think about that? Does it make a difference? Um, I'll take this first. Does it make a difference? Yes. But what would make a better difference if we threw out this entire educational system and build it in our liking? <laughs> That's what make more of a difference. You know, um, the so-called New Jersey standards doesn't include us, doesn't include black and brown people. Yes, there, there's a sentence here and a sentence there and a sentence here, but it doesn't include us. You know, the Amistad law that's been on the books that say you're supposed to teach black history. It's now 21 years later. It's still not being adhered to. So it doesn't include us. So do we need more black teachers? Absolutely. Do we need more black black Men, absolutely. Do we need more black women? Absolutely. Do we need more Hispanic people and Asian people? Absolutely. But what we need more so is for a systematic change. What we need more so is for curricular change. What we need more so is more of us who will center our children to put together an educational system that they can see themselves. So changing from white faces to black faces is still have a big problem. The problem is the curriculum. The problem is the education system. The problem is one of a systematic problem. So this, this issue is one that needs to be thrown out. All these Eurocentric systems need to be thrown out and we need to rebuild. There is no other way. Reform is not good enough. We see in the system, reforming this system doesn't mean that improve the system. So to me, let's start all over. And I'm saying to all the teachers, you know, now I know we work in public school systems and I know our all the good things that Brother E.K. was saying was great. And I love that. All that pension and all that is good. But at the same time, we have to look into a dynamic where we can start our own independent schools. And I think that will better, best, best, be best for our children. So we can build our own curriculum, our own educational system, and build it so our children can be centered. You know, the brother, the brother said earlier about the segregated schools and how they didn't have the resources that the white schools had, but they had dedicated educators who the white establishment will tell them, teach this curriculum. You know what those teachers would do? Put those curriculums to the side and teach their own curriculum, teach their own thing. And that's what we need. We need curricular change. We need a systematic change. These, system, these systems is not for us. And the, 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 the sooner we will see that is the faster we will get out of this matrix. And again, I'm not saying, I get it. I get it. I, I'm an, uh, a public school employer. I get my paycheck every 15th and the 30th. I get it. I have a pension. I get all of this. But since we are still in the system and we have to pay our bills, I get that. But outside of the system, we have to look to create something different. And that's where I'm with. I'm at with this type of system for our children. 
Is that practical though? Can that really be done? Yes. Yes, it can absolutely be done. We are smart enough. We are degreed enough. We have the resources. All we need is the space. And you know who's dying and waiting and wishing and praying for it? The children and their families. The children and their families. I don't know how many people know how much conversations are had about NJSLA. And when, when, when the brother was talking earlier about, um, uh, E.K. Chuka was talking about the, the he was talking about a community, PLC. Um, I, he gave another name, but it's, it's PLC is a form where teachers come together and talk about educational practices. Most Many times when teachers are coming together to, to talk about educational practices, the district is saying in a lot of instances, it has to be based on the test or what's going to be on the test and who can pass the test. And one of these conversations recently really um, bothered me because in that conversation, the person was saying, Oh, you know, we got to focus on the ones who can pass the test. I told them straight up in my district, I ain't doing that. These are my people. These are my, my, my children. They, they are us. I'm them. I'm not doing that. I'm leaving no one. No one's going to be left behind. No child left behind. In a, I'm taking Bush dynamic, but I don't like <laughs> Bush. But I'm taking his one. None of our children will be left behind. Some of them will get A's, some will get B's, some will get C's, whatever the case may be. But we're not leaving our children behind so, so, so that they won't come into this society in order to fight and destroy and destruct and rebuild the system. That's what we okay. need. Okay. So is it practical? So, Absolutely. We, we okay. have everything that it takes. All right. So you're, you're saying that teachers of color have a responsibility to ensure that students of color actually make it out of whatever it is they're into, that they succeed, put it, I'm gonna use the word succeed. So that, that asks the question, how important is it? What is the curriculum? How do you do that? I mean, I wanna ask, I wanna, I wanna ask Crystal and, and Dr. Sankar because um, you are women and, and um, earlier it was said that the educational system was built upon basically women, right? White women. Is that what I heard someone say? That it, you know, white women. Um, but you're women of color. And um, so when asked the same question that Sanjata just um, talked about, do you feel the, the same way um, that Sanjata feels about the educational system? Okay. And how it pertains to, you know, your your demographic, um, Dr. Sankar, or your demographic, um, Crystal? Okay. Um, from my Indian background, I can tell that most of the Indian parents want their kids to be engineers, doctors. So that's the way from the very young age, they are basically, you know, conveying that message to them. So they have very high expectations. So I would say that percentage of students who is going into teaching might be very low. Okay. Um, so, but There's definitely- no I, There's no uh, expectation then is what you're saying that from your, from your culture, there's no expectation that they would go into teaching. Teaching is not where they're going. Unless you go to a high college level teaching, 
earning a PhD or higher. You know, that's okay. like a high a profile job because I came okay. from a country over there. I have a lot of respect in that job that I was doing there um, because teachers are one of the highly paid um, position in India. Okay. All right. And Crystal? But when I came here, yeah, that respect is at the very bottom level. All right. So teaching is not the expectation in, in the um in the Indian yeah. community. And what about um Crystal? What about the I know you speak, I don't want you to speak for a giant you're in this um we, we put you in this demographic of the Hispanic and Asian, but you can't speak for every single one of them. But I'm just asking the question anyway. Yeah, I mean, personally, um, and especially in like immigrant um and Hispanic community, um, I would say that like there's this expectation of like, you know, I busted, you know, my ass to get here from another country. Um, and like, I want you to make money. Um, and so we want you to be a doctor, lawyer. Um, and, and the conversation about being a teacher is like non-existent. Um, that's not to say that like, you know, my family isn't proud of like what I do and the work that I do. Um, and, you know, I think about just in, you know, a, a generation, like, for me, like I grew up in, in the school because my dad was a custodian in one. Um, and now I think that, you know, I'm a lead teacher in the same halls that my dad used to sweep the floors in. So um, to me, that's not something that I don't take for granted. You know, like every morning when I walk in, um, I think about that, you know, and, and I honor my, my dad in that way. Um, so um, that to me is important. Um, but, you know, back to um, Sanjata's point, um, you know, is there like fixing the system? Like, can you, you know, even back to Jonathan's point, like, I think that teachers, like we're doing the best that we can, but we're, we're still operating within a system where there's so many other things that are at play um, that I think that in order to address, you know, like we, um, early in the conversation, when we started, someone talked about like nepotism that, it, oh, I think that was Jonathan. Yeah. About nepotism that exists and how, like, you already have a lot of white, um, uh, teachers already have an upper hand because they, you know, their, their father, their mother was a, a principal or know somebody. And like, for me, I didn't have that. Like, I remember I came in at a time where I remember I literally sent out like a hundred applications and I only got two interviews. Right. Um, and so I didn't know anybody. It was just like, literally like just, just going online and, and looking, looking up districts and just sending my applications, um, and hoping for the best. Um, and so there's so many issues at play that I think that there's, there has to be like a systemic overhaul of all of these factors that are at play, um, in order to improve our educa um, education system. And then also address the fact that, you know, there's so many barriers that make it impossible um, for, for students of color um, to become teachers. Okay, EK. Yes, indeed. Um, just salute you, Crystal. I really love that story about how you're the lead teacher in the same building where your dad was a janitor. And um, my, my father also um, was in education. So he, um, he, my, he emigrated from Nigeria to the States and maybe in the 60s or 70s. And, um, you know, he was a teacher and he, he eventually left the profession. And when I told him I wanted to become a teacher, he, you know, it was not, he didn't have, he didn't have a great experience, you know, and he didn't want me to enter a profession where I might also have a negative experience. But, you know, I'm thankful that I have an opportunity to thrive. Um, and he also taught a STEM subject, science and math. 
So, you know, I feel like I'm walking in his footsteps and just kind of like carrying the baton forward. Uh, we absolutely need more, um, you know, black, brown. We need more teachers, period, but we definitely need to make sure that we are represented in that number, um, if not overrepresented, but we need to be present. Uh, we need to be present in the communities where our families are. We need to be present in the communities where our children are. I mean, being a teacher is much more than just being a teacher. Like we're we're the centers of some of these communities, you know, like students who have aspirations to do something with their futures, you know, we are we are there. We are in a very critical place. We definitely need more, more black teachers, and it does make a difference. Um we, we have to be present for the work and it's not easy, it's hard. The system needs to be changed. It needs to be reformed, revolutionized, all of that. Um, and sometimes when I think about how much change is needed, it can be overwhelming, you know? And I prefer to just kind of do the small things that I can every day, you know? Which is why I appreciated the things that folks were saying earlier about, you know, about the smile, you know, about, about holding circle in classroom, you know, about, you know, handing a student a poem that they go home and they just run with and memorize. So it may not be, you know, leveling all the schools in the whole nation, but but it's big. The work we do is big, you know, the little things, you know, they need a kind face. They need someone who, after having a really bad interaction, I'm, is not going to judge you for that the next day so that I had a student the other day who came to apologize to me after like, who is a student that, that isn't one of my students, but he's a student in a building that I had an interaction with. And it wasn't positive. And that was like several weeks ago. And he, on his own, saw me in the hallway, said, yo, so oh, you, you have a moment. Can I just like, do you have a moment? I want to talk to you real quick. Say, yeah, I just, I was thinking about what happened the other day. And I just, I wanted to apologize. Like that was uncalled for. And I was like, I didn't expect this right now, you know, but absolutely, bro. And then he was like, matter of fact, Mr. O, what's your, what's your whole name? That's interesting. Where you from? Yeah, that's a really cool. It was just like a moment, you know, and we we need nice. we need more of that. You know, it's it's that's a that's a small thing that will not get captured on a standardized test, right? But um there was a change, there was a growth there, you know, a very meaningful one. Um one that me and him will probably remember 10, 20 years down the line, much more so than, I don't know, the objective I taught today about, you know, ionic compounds or something like it's some of the, those are the things you really remember. So um, I, I would say we do need more. And, you know, when you become a teacher, it, it changes you. Like just going back to what I started off with, like it, it changes you. It, it makes you a better person. It makes you someone who's more connected you know, gives you a purpose, a reason to live. You know, I spend my evenings and my weekends and my summer, my family time way differently than I spent it before I became a teacher. You know, it just you move different. You move different and um in a good in a in a good way. So yes. <laughs> the short answer is yes. All right. Well can I chime in? Can I chime in real quick? Or? Yes you can, Jonathan. Yes you can. I'll make it quick as possible. Um, I definitely think more more are needed. Um, I think the proof is, like I said, more or less like history. So before integration, like I said, Black people couldn't go to any school they wanted to. 
they didn't have all the resources to go to night schools. And like I said, my family members told me it was sometimes it was just in a one room little house, schoolhouse, and it'd be like third through sixth grade. But at the end of the day, they said because that teacher cared so much about them, because the teachers knew what they were facing, they were able to teach to them. So I think it's the same thing. I know a couple of professors, and I think I could tie this so well to the historically black colleges and universities. They're very underfunded, but yet we still have to compete with everybody else in the world. We still want to go to the same grad schools, same medical schools, same law schools as everybody else that went to schools that got funding three, four, five, six, sometimes, sometimes 10 times more than us. But because the professors there been where we're going, know what we experience, they're able to teach directly to us. And I think money can't replace that. And, and, and definitely, I agree, there has to be a system change. Definitely, that has to happen, no doubt. But in the, in, in the meantime, while that's not happening or until that does happen, we definitely need people that look like us to teach us. Because I feel that they're going to make that connection to us that a lot of other people can't. And I think that's what's going to keep us moving in the right direction. But until that changes, I think we're just going to end up in the same situation over and over and over again. And I, and I can't really speak to any other communities, but I know for a fact that if you look at the statistics for black people in America, when it comes to the educational system, especially for black men, the statistics are terrible for us. In some states, only half of them graduate from high school. Some cities, only half of them graduate from high school. You know, and, and, it's, and everybody looks at everything, but what the real issue is. And I just wanna, I'm gonna close out by saying that sometimes there's actual programs for us, and it'll stop. But for example, I have read about Louisiana that fathers were going to these schools because there was a bunch of fights. Fathers went to the schools to like basically kind of be mentors to the students. They said the suspensions had dropped, fights had stopped. But guess what they did? Stop the program. There was another program in Detroit recently. My aunt told me about people, men were coming to the school, mentoring, helping out. Stop. So at the end of the day, it's like we. I think the answer is out there. I think we know what's going on, but because whatever reason, things don't happen like they should, it keeps us in the same place. But at the end of the day, to answer your question, more people that look like us, teaching us on any educational level, whether it's elementary school, middle school, or college, definitely helps. Okay. Um, I wanna thank all of you for being here tonight. I especially wanna thank my teachers that are on this line, because as Jonathan pointed out, at the end of the day, we need you. We need you in the classrooms. We need you doing what you do. And each of you have your own different personalities. Sanjata, <laughs> we need you, brother. We need you in those classrooms doing what you're doing. Well, at the same time, EK, we need you in those classrooms doing what you're doing. Dr. Sankar, we need you in that classroom doing what you're doing. And Crystal, we need you in that classroom doing what you're doing. In the same way that Sanjata is saying that we don't need to be cookie cutters, um, cookie cutter um, people, you know, um, learning the way the, the white supremacist system say that we should learn. At the same time, I want you teachers to understand that you are also individuals. 
No one expects you to teach exactly the way the other person teaches. If you find something that works for you and you are having success in doing it, I'm going to encourage you to keep on doing it. Because as Jonathan pointed out, we need you in those classrooms. So I applaud you because all of you could have taken a whole nother profession and did something else, but you took this profession and I'm glad that you did. So thank you for being here. Thank you for sharing with me your I really do appreciate all of you. And if you wanna take the next minute or so to just close out and say something that you wanna say, I'm giving you the opportunity. We can start with you, okay? Yes, yes. Oh, man. Uh, I just love the way that you closed this out right there. Uh, Dr. Jones, thank you so much for inviting us. Um, I always relish opportunities to talk with teachers from different schools, different grade levels, different subjects, different approaches. Um, I was taking notes, to be honest with you, during this conversation. Yeah, you know, I had reminders to get back to circle. Um, maybe I need to pick up another language as well, like this I have so much room for growth and I thank you for the encouragement to just be true to ourselves and for me to be true to myself for the educator that I'm going to be. So just thank you, um, Doc, keep holding this down. Um, it, it really like appreciation. It goes such a long way. So thank you. Yes. Thank you, EK. Dr. Sankar. Yes. Thank you for having me. Um, can I, um, you know, inequality is built into the system. So people like you need to be there to bring it, um, you know, change from the bottom level so that all the black students, brown students will get the privilege to um, flourish into a better um, future. Um, it won't happen in a day or so. We know that after all 50, 60 years, it's still there, but at least a certain percentage, if you can increase that, I definitely, you know, uh, that would be better for our community. I really yes. salute you, <laughs> Sacro. Mm -hmm. oh, thank and you. And Dr. Sorry, April, yes. Thank you so much. Uh, your hard job. Thank you. Crystal? Yeah, I just want to, again, uh, thank you for having me and inviting me as soon as, you know, you told me about this and um, I told you I had to be on the panel because this is something that I'm passionate about um, and I enjoyed um, listening to all of you and just like EK, I was also taking notes um, on, on some of the things that you all said. Um, so I, I'm thankful and grateful that I was able to share the space with you all tonight. Thank you, Crystal. Jonathan, last words. Yes, I... I'm grateful that I, I was able to sit in on this and participate being the only one that wasn't an educator. Um, and I and I just do, I sincerely do want to thank all the teachers here. Cause like I said, I was true, listen to everything they said, listen to the stories, listen to how they, how they got here. I believe more teachers like this are definitely needed in the school system. I don't take teachers like this for granted. And I think many students don't. So please, please just keep doing what you're doing. And um, I'm gonna speak for a lot of students who like me. Jonathan, we didn't hear that last thing you said because you muted yourself. No, I was just saying, I wanna thank them for everything they've done. 
and I'm speaking on students that were like me, I mm -hmm. really want to thank them because we didn't have many of these teachers and we appreciate their being here. So thank you. Okay. Thank you. And Sanjata, your closing remarks. Uh, can I quote the great Whitney Houston? Yes, sir. I believe the children. What would he say? I believe the children are the what? Are our future. Teach them well and let them? Lead the way. Show them all the? Beauty they possess inside. Give them a sense of? Pride. Make it? Come on, don't get me singing easier. this. Easier. <laughs> Make it easier. So I want to help. I want to I want to hold it down with that. You know, I want to leave with that. Okay. Um, I believe the children are our future. You have to instill pride. You have to instill beauty. Um, the beautiful struggle, the beautiful happiness. My brother E.K. said it earlier, the beautiful joy. You have to include all of that for our black and brown children and especially the joy. We are going to struggle. We're going to face obstacles but we can never forget the joy. During slavery, we had joy. During Jim Crow, we had joy. During even times of incarceration, people have joy. So I want our people to know that there will always be issues, struggles, strife, problems, um, white supremacy, Karens, but always have joy. Thank you. My name is Sanjata Sekou. That's right, and we're gonna leave it here with joy. You have been listening to Real Talk with Real People, a candid conversation with my, me, Dr. Caroline Bethia Jones. It's been a joy. I'll be back again with another interesting conversation with a whole brand new panel. In the meantime, enjoy your night. Good night, everyone. If you would like more information about Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry, please visit our website at shsic-ministry.com. In addition, we welcome your support. If you would like to be a supporting member of the podcast, just click on the rewards button when you sign on to the program through Podbean. We would like to hear from you and even have you on the show. I am Dr. Caroline Thea Jones, founder of Sisters Helping Sisters in Christ Ministry. I'll see you next time.